What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You know, I've, I've always stayed even kill with the postseason. That's just, I mean... I mean, I'm down 0-1 in the first round. I was down 3-1 in the finals. So I'm the last guy to ask about how you're going to feel the next couple of days. LeBron James sounding confident with that statement after game one and then went out and had a statement game in the game two win over the Indiana Pacers to even that series at one game apiece. I will stop doubting you, LeBron, from now on. Seku Smith here in Atlanta somehow, someway. Greg Anthony, my main man, where are you? I know we're all running around on the playoff Yellow Brick Road. Where, you, where are you, in New Orleans? I'm down in the bayou, baby. <laughs> I'm in the bayou. You down yeah. there You down there where it's going to be electric. Pelicans. Yeah, it's going to be an incredible, incredible environment tonight. And what, a, what an unbelievable first couple of games in that series. I mean, all of the playoffs are crazy, G.A., but – is, is that the – does that series jump out at you as the one that's the real shocker, obviously, with with the Blazers being down uh, 0-2? You know, I, I thought New Orleans would win the series. You did? So okay. Not, yeah, absolutely. I wow. mean, I okay. felt like, look, they got the best player in the series. And True. I just, you know, I, I don't think people appreciate how good Drew Holiday was because he yeah. doesn't get the accolades. Rajon Rondo, you know, he's not a – you know, it's not as if he had been in this situation. And then when you look at Portland's roster, Dame Willard, I voted first team on NBA. Absolutely deserving. Right. C.J. McCollum is a really good player. But, you know, there's nobody else from a roster standpoint that you look at and you feel like, one, they got a ton of experience in there, and you know what you're going to get from them. So, right. Right. you know, I just, I just felt like New Orleans coming into the series, they have better players. And, you know, Portland's got a better bench. But New Orleans is not going to utilize their bench. You know, they're not going to they're not going to play their bench. You know, guys averaging twenty eight, thirty minutes. They're going to have their best player on the floor. So, barring injury, um, I, I like them. I thought it would go six. So, um, like I said, I, I kind of expected it to be one, one after two. Right. Uh, but for them to get both was that was impressive. Yeah, GA, we got an action packed show on the Hang Time Podcast this week. Um, you're in New Orleans, obviously calling that Blazers Pelicans game three Thursday night. Um I'm I'm getting a stopover here home in Atlanta. We're gonna talk to John Schumann later. I have no idea where Schumann is. He's somewhere between Toronto, Washington, somewhere on the East Coast. Um and also got a chance to chat with Steve Ashburner uh about LeBron James and that series as well. So just a ton going on right now, GA. Um I got to be honest with you, and I, I watched Houston in in Minnesota, the first two games in Houston. I've been stunned, positively and negatively, at some of the performances I've seen from some of these young guys in the playoffs. Carl Anthony Towns 
is struggling in ways that I don't even think he realizes. Derrick Rose is playing better in that series than he is. And the Rockets are up 2-0 without having played a spectacular, complete game as a group. They they got 44 from James Harden in game one, and then Chris Paul and Gerald Green went bananas in game two to, to you know, help them blow the Timberwolves out. But I, I asked Tom Thibodeau about this the other day. If that first game film from game one was enough to convince Carl Anthony Towns of what he doesn't know about the intensity and energy required in the playoffs. And and I think Tibbs tried to take up for him and kind of cover for him. But you've been watching this stuff. Do you see some young guys that that have been shell shocked by the intensity of playoff basketball? Yeah, I think they're. That's fair to say. I think also the reality is they've never been in this situation before. I mean, Cosby played in the playoffs. You know, he, he's never been in a scenario where he understands how much more physical it is, valuing possessions. Um, it, it's hard to have an appreciation for something until you're going through it. Right. You know, this group, they just haven't been there yet. So I'm not surprised from that standpoint. And also, it's why the Rockets are so good. Like we, again, we, we, you know, they don't always play perfect games. I mean, they didn't win 65 games where Harden got 44 every night. Right. Harden went to 18. They, they, they are about, they they can beat you with their defense. They can beat you when one of their two best players doesn't play well, which has been the case in essence, the first two games, right? Chris Paul was a, basically a non-factor and, yeah, he and struggled. Harden really didn't shoot it well in the first game. So, I mean, that that's not really surprising uh, that they've been able to win that uh, those first two games the way they have. I think what it should do is let people appreciate just how good this team is. You know, everybody wants to hark back on, well, you know, Chris Paul hasn't done this in the postseason or James Harden hasn't done that in the postseason. And the last time I checked, this is the first time that either guy's been a one seed. Wow. Yeah, or their favorite to do something. That's a great point. And after doing it collectively, you know, in terms of them being together, and I just I think they're a really good team. I think they're going to have a great chance uh, to win that Western Conference. Well, I've I've already scouted out all the spots we're going to hit during the conference finals. <laughs> in here. <laughs> I did a little reconnaissance work. We had two days in between games. <laughs> so I was getting familiar with Houston uh, in in ways that I haven't previously. They're good. They have a deep, eclectic roster. Uh, Gerald Green was fantastic. Uh, he came out and hit four threes in like in a six-minute stretch where he just went bananas and, and flipped the game upside down. I always love – what the playoffs brings, GA, in terms of people don't know how good Drew Holiday is if they haven't watched Pelicans basketball season. So there's a whole faction of playoff fans who are now, you know, getting their eyes open. I, I mean, somebody somebody had the nerve to say to me, "Yeah, this Holiday guy, like, when what is he in his second year?" And I'm like, I'm like, man, this guy was an all star in Philly, you know. But people literally casually watch the league throughout the course of the season and then turn on the playoffs and want to watch every night and have to play catch up on, on some of the better players in the league. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a great point. And that's, again, it just, it speaks to how good 
he's been. And remember, too, he, he hasn't had the full season. And right. he's also been an all-star. Like, you know, it wasn't that long ago that he was with Andre Iguodala, Philadelphia mm-hmm. Sixers, and they were in the postseason, that young upstart team. So, like, to your point, they're a really good basketball team. They're going to be difficult to deal with, and it, it's going to be fun. Like, I, I think that second-round matchup, could be so entertaining if they're able to go ahead and win this series and face uh, a Golden State team. Not that Golden State won't be the favorite, but you know they're they're a better team than I think we realize because we get caught up in what the record is. Mm-hmm. But when you factor in everything that they've gone through this year, um, they're a really good team, uh, and, and that that's starting to board, you know show itself here in the postseason, and I'm just hoping people really appreciate what they're seeing with this group and how special not just Drew and obviously Rajar, but how special Anthony Davis is. And, and also, Meritich has been really good as well. Yeah, now, He's a guy kind of got gets lost, but his value to that team, you know, you, you really can't put enough weight on it. He's, he's been terrific as well. Yeah, beard, the, the beardless wonder has definitely um, shown me something and, and giving them a lift. Speaking of beards, um, GA, I got a chance to talk with Steve Ashburner about LeBron James and, and the spotlight that is on him right now uh, in, in what is, in what could be, I guess, his final campaign in Cleveland. So um, we'll take a listen to this, and on the other side we'll talk about it and, and also catch up with our man, John Schumann. Finally, we get the man himself on the Hangtime Podcast here, Steve Ashburner of NBA.com, the elder statesman of the bunch. Ash, how are you, my friend? I know you've been all over the place, Board of Governors, playoffs, um, you know, doing everything that you always do, but I appreciate you taking a few minutes. Uh, I prefer venerable. Venerable. I want to go with that next Okay, time. we'll go with venerable. venerable. Elder yeah. statesman makes you sound a little <laughs> You're right. We'll go with venerable. Um <laughs> Ash, you you got a chance to see LeBron in in the uh, bounce back game, I guess, of that first round series yeah. with the Pacers. Yeah. Um, I, I maintain that LeBron, being the most engaged, alert, aware, whatever you want to, you know, whatever term you want to use for a guy who's plugged in, included into basically everything that's going on around him at all times, did it strike you as odd, not just his performance after game one, but his comments after game one, where he, you know, where he kind of went into his bag about, I've been down, you know, you don't ask me about how I'm going to feel the next couple oh, of days. Yeah. I mean, did that, no. Was that strange hearing him talk like that? You know, that part of it, I guess it's at the point, and I've been around him enough and, and heard this kind of stuff so often that it doesn't even, like, grab me anymore. It, I, I just sort of breeze right on by it because he does that. And, you know, at first, you know, blush, it seems not a good thing. You know, it's the old, there's no lion team, and, and he seems to distance himself uh, when when it suits him from the rest of the bunch, uh, you know, the other Cavaliers or whatever it is. Um and and I I think largely it's not a good look. I, I try to understand it, and I say, well, you know, he's had so many different teammates, and the we that that you know <laughs> you would talk about it's it's an ever changing thing, particularly this season with players coming and going. On the other hand, it's not as if he didn't sign off on on you know some of that, uh, both good and bad. 
Um, but yeah, that, that's it's it's not ideal. I don't think it's ideal. I think he has one eye on his legacy at all times, one eye on how he's being seen, and um, it's a little tricky way to go through, you know, uh, a, a very uh, you know a heavily burdened um, playing career game to game, and and so I just it's a little it is odd. You know, his performance in game one. I kind of understand it, but it was a little bit of a force feeding to guys. I think he wanted to give everybody touches and experience all at once. You know, like you guys haven't been to the playoffs, like Larry Nance and Jordan Clarkson, you know, and Rodney Hood, or Rodney Hood was briefly whatever. You know, here, I'm going to force feed you, and you're going to get your experience ramped up really quick. And it didn't work out. And and LeBron was almost passive. We've seen that before where he, he feels out games like that. And then he had to overcompensate and just, you know, blow the roof off the place um, in game two by scoring, you know, the Cavaliers for 16 points and, and uh, 29 and a half and 46 in the game. And they were still uh, fortunate to uh, to fend off the Pacers from, from that game. So I've, I've seen him up close often enough, and I understand fully why he is as polarizing as he is. Yeah, and as the fact that they the, – the Pacers should be confident as far as I'm concerned, they, oh, yeah. they got the split and and almost had a chance to do more. Um, they shouldn't go home with their heads down. They should go home feeling like they've got a chance to win this series. Like They, they look like the better team f- for more time in this series so far than Cleveland has. I agree with you. I mean, and they took um, Cleveland's best shot. I mean, if, if you have a bond coming at you like that, downhill, attacking – you know, scoring mode and and putting up all those points he did at any you know the early in the game and over the course of the game, and your knees don't buckle. I mean, that's a victory right there. And they you know they came within a miss of uh, a twenty seven footer by Oladipo of sending that game into overtime, perhaps. And who knows what happens there? I think I agree with you. They have played better. They have sort of they they had to recover from Oladipo's you know absences early in the game with foul trouble. He only played eight minutes in the first half. They're going to be on their court the next two games. I don't think that it's unreasonable to think that, you know, Indiana will could be up in that series when it shifts back to game five. And um, they're a very good place. And I think they have more reserve because they have certain guys that haven't played all that well. True. And and you'd expect that, you know, it's the old thing about in the playoffs, your, your role players play better at home. Well, that's, you know, those guys have that coming their way now. Now, they just have to be careful George Hill doesn't get confused and think he's back home for, uh, you know. <laughs> he is from Broad Ripple. Cleveland. That's right. That's right. Steve Ashburner joining me here on the Hangtime Podcast. Ash, I, uh, I I tend to get caught up in narratives, and, and I start reading tea leaves when I probably shouldn't. Some of LeBron's behavior this season makes me think that he's doing the same thing the rest of us have been doing all season, which is looking at July 1st with with free agency in mind and, and a clear understanding that this season, if it's potentially his last in Cleveland, will be not necessarily a referendum on his second stint there, but certainly an odd way to cap his second stint with the Cavaliers, they, you know, yeah. he, he knows that they don't have the firepower. They're not healthy enough. They don't have the cohesion right now to beat the Warriors or potentially even Houston in the finals. And, and LeBron's smart enough. He understands the game well enough to know it would take a miracle for them 
to get to the finals and then be able to knock off one of those teams if all things were equal. Do you feel? Yeah. Do you feel like? And, and LeBron, it's, maybe it's hard for him to hide it because, you know, he, he he does mention his beautiful mind all the time. You feel like sometimes he acts out and kind of wears his, his feelings on, on his chest a little bit when he doesn't even realize it? Yeah, I think he is. Um, you know, he's been in the, the spotlight so much that I think uh, a lot of us have, have gotten, you know, the you know, pretty good at reading him. And um, what you were talking about early on, what it made me think about was his first year back in Cleveland, you know, 14-15, when he went to the postseason with that team and Kevin Love got hurt, had his, you know, shoulder pulled out against Boston. Um, Kyrie was not 100%. He was gimpy in the early rounds. And then, he, you know, the knee fractured and he was done in uh, in the finals. And LeBron, to me, really embraced that sort of, wounded crew of, of overachievers, you know, as, as far as a supporting cast. Matthew Delavadova, Tristan Thompson before the big contract. And he, you know, he seemed pretty fulfilled when that group got to six games uh, in the finals against Golden State. Yes. I mean, I saw them in earlier rounds against Chicago, and, and I think he was ready to, 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 to bag it. And all of a sudden, he hit a shot from the corner and you know, and he bought into Della Vidova and the, the other guys, and and you know, he made it work because he was just freshly back, and he knew there was work to be done. I I think that I've seen it differently this year, where he doesn't, he's in no big hurry to put his arms around whichever group they've had on the roster, and and you know, okay, trade deadline, they they got rid of six guys, brought in four, looked like everything was going to be all sweetness and light once they got a little bit of time together. And that hasn't worked out so well. And I, and I still, it seems like he's holding this group out at arm's length a little bit more yeah. than he did back then. Now, does he leave? Does he not leave? I mean, I thought when they when they won the championship in 2016, he sort of earned the right to do whatever he wants to do the rest of the way. Now, we all have the right to react to it and, and to assess, well, do we think that's a good move? Is that impressive? Is that, you know, uh, kind of cutthroat? Whatever it is. But... He's earned the right to do it. I, you know, when he left the first time, obviously he had the right business-wise, but it was a brutal, brutal cold way to go. Yeah. Um, this time around, I feel like, okay, you know, you want to go play in New York, go play in New York. You want to go to L.A., go to L.A., whatever it is. You want to play for Popovich, do that. Um, we'll, we'll assess after the fact if it looks like he's chasing rings. I personally won't be that impressed. I don't think he needs another ring to move up a spot on Mount Rushmore. But... Um, you know, I, I yeah, I, and and I guess that'll be the, the the question whenever they're down, you know, with three defeats in a best of seven series. Is does he bail? Is this it? I mean, does he have what it takes to come back if they have to come back, or will it be? Yeah, right. July first has gotten closer. You know, it's a good it's a good marker to pay attention to. Yeah, I'm, and I'm and I'm thinking about the aftermath. You know, the first time he left Cleveland. And the culture they felt was built, you know, during his first run there, you know, the front office, yeah. you heard ownership talk about this championship culture and that they had, you know, they re- got to the finals. They felt like, well, even without LeBron, we've built this framework to compete at a high level. And we all know that wasn't the case. Ash, I'm worried if he were to leave again, it would be the same thing. There's not a framework in place. No, there is no Kyrie in place to take over as the the – face of that franchise. They would be Cleveland would be right back in that same predicament in terms of having to rebuild, 
basically from the ground up. There's not enough talent, high-end talent, superstar yeah. talent, for them to maintain a position among the top teams in the Eastern Conference with if LeBron leaves. Well, and I would say that's probably the norm for most teams that are built around a star. Um, than than not. I mean, rare that you can lose Kevin Durant and you still have Russell Westbrook to lean on, right. and then you start patching around him. I mean, most most teams if they lose a guy of you know of, of great stature, whether it was you know, I mean, I just refer to my days in Minnesota with Garnett. Um, I mean, if Giannis Antetokounmpo were to, were to walk out of Milwaukee, you know, I mean, it's 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 hard to be prepared for that kind of a a loss. I mean, I. You know, I'm I'm uh, a conspiracy buff enough that I keep thinking, <laughs> what if LeBron would would leave there, drive down the value of that franchise, and try to pick it up, you know, at a bargain rate um, when he when he fulfills his dreams of owning a uh, an NBA franchise? Uh, you know, you think that um, you know he he has equity in it now in terms of his uh, his playing ability, but if he's not around there, I think they drop on the Forbes rankings. So. Yeah, it's not, it's not good, and the, and the idea that they would end up with, uh, you know, the fortuitous draft situations, even though they use one of them on Anthony Bennett, um, that's that's always a long shot. So, yeah, not not great. But, um, again, if he swoops in and, and Gilbert sells to him or something like that, and I'm just talking off the top of my head here. Yeah, but, I love the twisted you – know. I love it. I love the, the twisted <laughs> theories. That's perfect. Because you're right. You're, I mean – he listen. I think LeBron is such. People have been asking me, oh, "What do you think LeBron's going to do?" I'm like, "Whatever he's going to do, it won't be on a whim. He doesn't do, you know, yeah. he doesn't do that. He he's the calculated guy. He's the one who's probably had this plotted out and graphs and charts and you know lists. He's. I mean, I guarantee if and if he isn't, his his crew has his his guys have. They they don't yeah. do anything accidentally. Well, you know, I've been a I've been a witness to the to the history of it. I mean, I was in Cleveland when he was first auditioning those teams in 2010. Right. He had them all come to to him, and you know, we're standing on the street corner watching you know cars full of uh, <laughs> uh, you know Mike D'Antoni and the Knicks contingent or the Clippers contingent or you know whoever coming in and knocking on the door and you know basically uh, pleading with LeBron to give them a chance to to make him you know ridiculously richer and. Um, you know, and I was in, in the gym in Connecticut when he, when he had that ill-fated bad idea TV show and he was very uncomfortable. He was, he was sprinting to the restroom in between commercial breaks and it was just a bad look all the way around. I, I think he has become much more mature and, and much more of a businessman. But on the other hand, I'm not, I'm not sure he knows right now what he's going to do. I mean, I, I think that they may have their lists and they may have, you know, uh, the advantages here and the, the negatives there. But in terms of actually flipping the switch, I'm, you know, I don't think a decision has been made. Yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to walk. If he walks away from from that franchise a second time, that'll be that'll be something. It'll be. Uh... Yeah, yeah, I don't. You know, I I don't think people have a right to, to in no, Cleveland I, have a right to no feel no. betrayed. And here's the here's the other thing. I mean, if you're right, they're not set up great in terms of what their assets are to move forward. What do you have Kevin Love for another year? And who knows what happens there? And he's not that kind of a player anyway, but do you want to be paying LeBron the absolute top dollar in the NBA when he's 36, when he's 37? I mean, you know, is that the best thing for a Cleveland franchise too? I mean, I know that that's a, that's a harsh calculation to make, Sure, but this, I mean, is this going to be a sustainable 
performance that we saw out of LeBron this year, one of his best years ever, 15 years in, at age 33, I mean, at what point does it start to tip? Yeah. And he starts to go down downhill and, and need more help, and maybe he'll feel he won't have that in Cleveland. He has to go find it in a place like, you know, Philadelphia or something. That's a great point. I, something tells me, Ash, you're going to be there when his <laughs> decision's made. I mean, I'm just going, I'm just going based on the history. Yeah, You'll no, probably I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I'm, as long as he wants to go, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll chronicle it. So, Ash, you got a, a great piece, a, a Q&A um, on NBA.com, where you talk with former NBA ref Monty McCutcheon, who has now uh, been promoted to vice president, the head of the referee and de- development and training program yeah. with the league. Um, some fascinating stuff in there at a time when – Let's face it, the the player-referee-coach dynamic has been in the crosshairs all season long with the aforementioned LeBron James, Kevin Durant, and other star players getting tossed, piling up technicals. Um, that that whole relationship seemingly eroding before our eyes and, and worse than it already was, which was not very good. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from your conversation with Monty McCutcheon about where they're going to go to repair this? Um, you know, it, it's a it's a new a new era for the the referees and the players, right? I mm-hmm. mean, we've heard that before. Um, frankly, I I think that Monty's appointment in December um, is a good thing for the referees only because of the very recent past. I think the morale for the referees was pretty low with some of the executives that have been overseeing their operations. Mm-hmm. It got away from, you know, the, the hardcore long-term veteran officials who moved into those roles, and you had some suits, and you had some people that, that the, the, the rank-and-file refs didn't always feel that, you know, Olympic Tower, NBA headquarters, had their backs. And I think it, I think it showed up in their work, and it showed up in their demeanor, and um, they weren't getting the right kind of advice, and you had a, a real divide, and the divide showed itself you know, where we see it, which is out on the floor with the players and the coaches. Um, I think Monty's uh, first priority is training and interpersonal stuff. Um, and I, I think that that's a logical place because, you know, the, the accuracy stuff, it should be taken care of itself by now. I mean, if you if you – Take out whatever percentage of players on a given night where reasonable people will disagree. You know, was that a block or a charge? And it could have gone either way. So you can't get 100%. So you take out that percentage. And now what's left between the replay center in New Jersey and the last two-minute reports the next day, which, you know, I would think would inform the next game's um, work by, by referee, Um you know, they're hitting a pretty high average of, of uh, correct calls. So now, to me, it gets into interpersonal stuff, and that's where the work needs to be done. They've got young referees, you know, guys who, who and, and, or gals that come to this without a lot of other career experience or life experience. They haven't developed some of the mature just relationship skills and negotiating tactics and everything else that you can use in a, in a heated moment. And um, they'll dig in, or they'll feel threatened, and I and I, I've seen that a lot, and talk with a lot of referees about it, and they feel that you know you just you need more experience, or if you if you don't get that, you need, in essence, coaching. You need you know people to sort of uh, get you up and, and shortcut for the years that you don't already have under your belt. So I think that he's going to be a big 
guy for training and so you know it's the kind of thing where you can have a game where there's you know a bunch of questionable calls or or calls that could have gone and yet the coaches and the players are all kind of calm about it. I think it's fine. And you can have a play where they're like one play and everybody goes crazy. And I think a lot of that is just how it's all handled. You know, am I being heard? Do I get to air my side of things? You know, and he also would stick up for the referees when I talked with him. He said repeatedly, it's not just the refs that need to be poised. It's the players and the coaches, too. I mean, everybody's grown up. Everybody's supposed to be a professional. Yeah, I agree with him. That is the one thing I've been saying consistently, Ash, is that it's going to take everybody coming, you know, coming to some kind of agreement about, you know, the the way you conduct yourself. I mean, just a shred of respect could help, you know, solve some of this. Because a lot of it is just... Well, I know you said, you said that, you can't complain after every dang call no. because most of those are right. Yeah. So then you have no credibility. It's the old boy who cried wolf. You have no credibility exactly. when you might actually have a case. Yeah, exactly. I just don't understand. I mean, I watched it in every game that, that that we're at. I mean, I'm at a playoff game, and I see a guy knocking another guy off his path, and the first thing he does is start jumping around like he didn't hit him. It's like, man, you just knocked him four feet off. <laughs> you know, they they all have to, to come to some sort of understanding about – how to conduct themselves for the better, you know, for the greater good of the game and to get us out of these buildings in a decent hour. They got to do better. They all got to do a better job. Um, well, another thing I hear from refs though, too, is that it's a sign of the times, you know, right. I mean, the old AAU thing yes. and young people not respecting authority and questioning, you know, teachers and cops and this and that and everything else. I mean, no. there's a, there's an undercurrent of that. And that's going to be a, a bigger, I think, issue. That could be a generational thing. Um, so they're going to have to chip away at it as, as best they can. But, um, you know, if there's a sense that, uh, you know, if you can talk back to your teacher, you can, you know, whatever, you know, thumb your nose at, uh, at, a, at a youth coach, then, uh, you know, why am I going to listen to this referee, uh, you know, who's I disagree with just from the moment I look at him? Yeah, well, the powers that be need to also acknowledge the technology jump that we have. We, did, we didn't have 7 million angles to look at every call yeah. the way we used to. I mean, there, for as many times I think a player has been out of line, there has been an instance where, yeah, the call was missed. But that happens. That's human. That's a part of the human condition of this game, that there are going to be missed calls. But unfortunately for the refs, we see every single one of them and every possible angle now when they miss these calls. Um, Ash, let you get out of here on this last thing. And it, it was something that struck me last night in the locker room in Houston when the news came down that Greg Popovich's wife had passed away. And first and foremost, uh, our condolences and our thoughts and prayers go out to the Popovich family, to to Coach Popovich and his family on on such a, you know, uh, an unbelievable, you know, moment to happen. And to have it happen when it did, you know, on on a night when teams are preparing – I was shocked at the reaction in the in the Rockets locker room of the players, guys who have never played for Greg Popovich, but hold him in such high regard. And I noticed Kevin Durant's reaction. I saw LeBron's emotional reaction yeah. when he's talking to Ali LaForce afterwards. Did did you sense a lot of that in the locker room around the building from people when the news spread? Maybe just how shocked they were and obviously how how sad they were for Greg Popovich on the loss of his wife. 
no doubt about it. I mean, it took the air out of uh, Quicken Loans Arena, you know, at least around the players and the coaches that I saw. Um, you know, in the in the silly post game presser that you know we all ask our questions or you know pop away or somebody out there or whatever. Been I mean, there, you yes. had coaches and they were either uh, introducing their remarks by expressing their condolences, you know, for um, Aaron Popovich and 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 the loss to the. Popovich family, or they were finishing up. Nate McMillan answered all his questions, and before he he, he moved away from the microphone, he expressed his, you know, his, mm-hmm. his sorrow for for that. Um, Tyron Lue did it beforehand. You had players that were really thrown. I mean, it it's look everybody in the NBA. It's a it's a vital, energetic, young, healthy, you know, uh, pro sports people at their peak physical powers and. You know, to to have the dark cloud descend of a of death in any way, um, yeah. you know, is is tough. So you know, and then you factor in the respect that there is for Popovich. And frankly, I was most stunned for a guy who is as you know widely revered and well known as as he is, and has been on the scene for so long that he has kept his private life, other than the fact that he enjoys wine. Yeah. Um, and and he has certain political views. He's <laughs> kept his private life you know, really behind the curtain. I mean, I think from what I saw with the TNT coverage, they didn't necessarily have photos of of, of him and his wife until right. if they maybe sprung loose from the Spurs or something and trickled in because um, didn't hear much about that. And and that's probably to his credit when you're in his. You know, uh, now not that it's the toughest place when you're successful in San Antonio and you're beloved there. But, I mean, most of these guys, to have your family out there where they're, they're subject to shots and criticisms sure. and, and, and just cheap tactics, I think it's a smart thing to, uh, to sort of uh, compartmentalize. And, and, and I was mostly stunned by that when you heard, okay, married for four decades, right. extended illness. Right. We didn't know any of this stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there was a very close circle of, of people that did, but it didn't get out across the league, whereas, you know, we knew right away when Rodney Hood had twins and, and got that news last night. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. There's various things that, it's always been a warped relationship, though. We know so much about these people generally, and they know nothing about us, and, you know, and that's that's fine. But, um, you know, it, it, it is, they, they live in a fishbowl, and, and Popovich somehow was able to, you know, to sort of paint the inside of the bowl uh, that we couldn't always see in. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a tough thing. Obviously, uh, we've all dealt with loss. I'm sure in, in our own and it's families. A big family, yeah. you know, you've yeah. seen that, right? I yes. mean, the NBA they compete their their guts out, and and yet there's a a fraternity element that we often will absolutely complain about. You know, absolutely. don't be buddy buddy with that guy while you're trying to beat him in the best of seven series. But they sort of all you know follow the same paths and. There is that that camaraderie. It is, and I, I always think about it. Summer league, when you see the coaches and you know all these players and everybody, and you you have to re- remind yourself how connected they all are. You know, by the game yeah. and and by this environment. Um, again, it was just a. I don't remember being in a locker room and seeing the the instant reactions on players' faces when they heard that. And I and I agree with you, Ash. I think some were shocked. Because they didn't know a that either Pop was married for that long or that his wife yeah. was battling an illness, so it was a it was a surprise in several ways for a lot of people. Again, our our uh, our prayers, our thoughts certainly go out to the Popovich family um, at a at a time when I'm sure they could use 
the same from everybody. Um, Ash, I appreciate you as always, sir. I'm looking forward to catching up with you at some point down this playoff road. Uh, normally, we're on dueling tracks. I'm usually out west. You're usually on the yeah. east. We meet up in the finals. Um, so maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe I will get a dispatch to an Eastern Conference city sooner rather than later, and we can uh, enjoy some conversation and maybe some one of those good meals in one of those Midwestern towns that I'm so familiar and fond of. Um, there you go. Yeah, you might have to find your way out west, but usually that's more in the wintertime when, when there's an extra edge for that. But, um, don't hesitate. You know, the phone rings. Don't hesitate. You don't have to have it hooked up to one of these recording devices to uh, – uh, to just give a shout-out. Always great to talk with you, Saiku. Absolutely. Thank you, Ash. I appreciate you, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me on. All right. Um, Steve Ashburn, never a dull conversation with the Ash Man. He's always uh, got some interesting insights. Been all over the place, too. Board of Governors, playoffs. So always glad to catch up with the Ash Man. There's somebody else we need to talk to, though, G.A., and uh, we and I, I know he's got something smart, smart alecky to to throw at us for the playoffs on the Schumann stat. John Schumann, what's up, sir? Give us the stat first. I don't even want to talk to you about the playoffs. Give me Schumann. You want stat. to do a little trivia? Yes, give me the trivia, trivia. All right. first. All right. So in Game One against Indiana uh, this weekend, LeBron recorded his twentieth career playoff triple-double. I don't know if you remember, but his first career playoff triple-double was actually his first career playoff game. I did, I did not remember. 2006 that. against Washington, uh, he had 32-11-11 and 11 in his playoff debut. Did he get it on Deshaun Stevenson? I, I don't, I, but we're going to talk a little bit about his teammates. Oh. So he had 11 assists in that game. I want you to see how many of his the six teammates that he assisted in that game you can name. I don't even remember who I got. I don't even remember. 2006 Cavs. Man, I don't What's even that? remember who played on that team. 2006 Cavs. I'm thinking Ilgowskis play. Yeah, Ilgowskis is one. He had one assist to Ilgowskis. Five more. What about Booby Gibson? No, he wasn't on that. I don't know if he was on that team. No. Uh, he was a rookie in 2007, right? Oh, yeah, I think you might be right. When they went to the finals? You might be right. Uh, 2006. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember. I just, Drew Good. Drew Gooden, yes. He played with two Drew assists Gooden, right? to Drew Gooden. Yeah. Elgaskis, Drew Gooden. Larry Hughes. Nope. Damn. All right. Next year. Oh, Daniel Marshall. Daniel Marshall. No, he had yes. to throw out Daniel Marshall. A, a Three dime. assists. Larry Hughes was on that team. Did not have any. It's possible he didn't play in that game. Oh. Okay. I have to look back, but um. So yes, Daniel Marshall, uh, Drew Gooden, Zudrunis Elgaskis. Hmm. Another one should be fairly easy. Another uh, big that he played a lot with. Anderson Varejao. Anderson Varejao, right. Yeah. Um, two others are two guards. Uh, e. Snow. Eric Snow, correct. Had to be Eric Snow. Last one's kind of tough. He was a guard? A guard. With LeBron. A little bit of a gunner. Ricky Davis. No, it wasn't. And it wasn't Booby no. Gibson. Who else did LeBron play with back then? It was a vet. What's, oh, it's, I know who it is. It's my. I just saw him in New Orleans. Uh, he's doing radio for the for the Pelicans now. David Wesley. Nope. Oh, shoot. Uh, this gosh. guy is not known oh. by his given first name. And not known by his given first name. His given first name was Ronald. Ronald. <laughs> oh, it's Flip Murray. Flip Murray. Yes. Oh my man, the flips. I wonder what Flip Murray's doing now. I like how she said, oh, well, it should be easy. That was like 
No, I, I didn't say I didn't say all of them I'm should like, be easy. Fifth grade was not easy. I mean, that easy to remember thirteen years ago. Man, I can't remember but, I mean, thirteen Bar- minutes ago. I think the only one I said should be easy was Varejao. It's just far as as, as a, a guy that he played with. Shoot, Interestingly, what the hell made you come up with that as our trivia question? Uh, oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> interestingly, so I was looking at his triple doubles. He's only three times has he had two triple doubles in the same playoff series, mm-hmm. and all three times were the finals. So in the th- 2013 finals against the Spurs, which which the, um, heat, the heat won, yeah. he had two triple-doubles. In the 2015 finals uh, against the Warriors, which the Warriors won, he had two. And then uh, last year's finals, he had two. It's interesting. He's never had more than he's never had more than one in any in any. Uh, he's going to need uh, he's going to need some this year. We're going to see. He, he might need. Can't a, wait to find out some. what happens with that series. Yeah, he might need a few. Shoot. GA and I were talking about what we've seen so far a little bit earlier. What, uh, what's what been something that stood out to you in the series you've been on, in the series that you're dealing with and, and tracking? Well, uh, I was in Philly for game one and two of Sixers Heat. Mm-hmm. And that was that, that, those are two fun games, even though the first game was uh, a little bit of blowout yeah. come fourth quarter. It's just a fun. I, I just like the way both these teams are playing. They both do a lot of fun stuff offensively with setting screens for shooters and trying to get guys open. The Sixers lead the playoffs in both ball movement and player movement, so it's kind of fun. A lot of fun to watch them watch uh, watch them play. Sure. And you know, it was interesting in Game Two. You know, we're going to see uh, Game Three tonight. We're taping this on uh, what is this Wednesday? No, Thursday. <laughs> Um, shoot, we're going to see Glad game you got three your tonight, but I, I like the adjustment the Heat made is sort of pressuring Ben Simmons a little bit right. um, and making t- the passes more difficult um, because the Heat, uh, the, the Sixers are going to, you know, run their shooters all around. It's easier than said than done to sort of stay at home on, on their shooters, but they were able to pressure, pressure the ball a little bit more and, and rush the, put the Sixers in a little bit more of a rush. And I thought that was a good adjustment. And then obviously Dwayne Wade was pretty impre- incredible in game two. And it's funny, like the, the shots that he was making are, if this was a regular season game, if that was a regular season game, the Sixers would just say, hey, you know, mid-range shots off the dribble, you know, in the long run, those shots aren't going to beat us. We're fine with that, you know, uh, with dealing with that in one game, you know, over the course of 82, we're good with forcing those kinds of shots. But in a playoff series, that's you lost that game, and that game could you know be the difference in a series like this. It's Older kind of berry, interesting. The sweeter the juice, baby. Yeah, I remember a couple of years ago when Charlotte was playing Miami in the first round, and and and, uh, and D Wade was wearing his ninja outfit at the post. No, it was, it was, it actually, it was Steve Clifford after one game, like Justice Winslow hit four threes in a game against the against the Hornets, and Clifford's like, "Well, what am I supposed to do? Like, that's the shots we want." People take like we want Justice Winslow to shoot jumpers like and 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 he miraculously hit four. It's it's like you can, you know, over the course of the season, you want that to happen. But in in one game, anything fluky could happen, and then you know you lost because you know you were forcing something to happen, and and you know they the shots happen to go in like the low percentage shots happen to go in, and it's it's kind of. 
Um, I mean, that's the playoff game see, you play, though, right? That's the yeah, 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 yeah. It's fascinating to see. Do you adjust to that? Do do like all right? If if some guy who doesn't hit shoot very well starts hitting threes, like if Giannis Antetokounmpo start like hits threes in a game, like one playoff game, do you adjust to that? Do you start defending him like oh he's a shooter now, or do you do you, do you try to continue to play the percentages? It's always interesting. That's like a good that. question, GA. What, what 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 do you do? Well, the thing you got to those, there's a couple things you got to keep in, in mind. One, this series, especially without Embiid, it's, it's not a one-sided series. Two, what Philly did in game one, nobody ever does consistently. So just like you didn't expect them to shoot 64% from three, I would be willing to bet whatever that they probably won't shoot that again on 33s. And, and also, in, in Dwayne Wade's case, you know, at this stage of his career, Two things. One, I'm I'm okay with him making the shots he made. To your point, shoot because they were all basically contested twos in terms of the tough jumpers. And there's a very good chance that at 36 years of age, he's not going to be able to carry them anymore. So I mean, Philly, Philly's biggest issue in that game, I thought, was they their offense was not nearly as effective. Ben Simmons actually was pretty good. In terms of his, he was efficient. They didn't shoot the three as well. And, and Miami's equipped to defend their, their shooters, right? That's the thing what makes this series for me so compelling is because Miami really does match up well with uh, with Philadelphia absent Joel Embiid because they, they've got as good an on-ball defender uh, perimeter defense as we have in the league. And so I just think that series is going to be a – it has a chance to go – six or seven games. I mean, it's just a really, really good series uh, from, from that standpoint. But I, I do think that one's going to be interesting to see if and when Embiid comes back. I, I guess he's doubtful for the third game. And I think that's what really will allow Philly to change the way. Then it becomes harder to play them because you don't have to double Ben Simmons. But I do think they're going to have to be in help mode when it comes to Embiid. Yeah, I know Whiteside's a solid player, but, but – Whiteside hasn't been that effective when those two have matched up. Uh, and, and But the other issue is how good will Embiid be having been out for this extended period of time and having never played in the postseason. So it, it's going to be – that's a really compelling one for me to see how all of those pieces play out. Um, but it, it's going to be fun, man. That, that one, to me, two great defensive teams, uh, a, a really good offensive team in Philly, uh, great potentially if they're whole. And Miami's a better offensive team than when you look at the, the personnel than you might think. A lot, a lot of good unknowns in these playoffs, shoe. One thing we, I think we know well is that the Wizards are not going to play up to their own ridiculous expectations. They, I mean, they, they're an eight seed and they went into the playoffs talking like they were the best team in basketball, like always. Are we watching the, the final straw for the Washington Wizards if they get swept by the Raptors, if they cannot find a way to to scrap back and, and win a game or two in this series? I mean, I'll be fascinated to see if, you know, if, if their season ends quickly, whether it be, you know, four or five games in this series, um, how they try to shake things up this summer, mm-hmm. you know, because um, John Wall's got a huge contract. I mean, he's I forget, like the last year of that contract, he's getting paid forty some million dollars. Yikes! Um, wow. And, and it's not it's not because they are now they're paying Wall a lot of money. They're paying, paying Beal a lot of yeah. Mil, a lot of money. They're paying Otto Porter a lot of money. Right. Like 
And I, I, I assume that Beal and Porter have appeal, you know, to other teams on the contracts that they're on. But it'll be fascinating. You know, it, they are, you know, we talked about this last week. You know, they just ended the season in such disappointing fashion. And, you know, it's hard to get too excited about what we've seen in the first two games with that team. And give credit to Toronto. They're playing terrific. You know, the regular season has carried over into the postseason for them. Thank Obviously, goodness. the next the next series will be different. Um, starters, but, starters might you know, have gone off the air if they had, if they'd have lost one of those. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing is that 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 the uh, the bench numbers have actually been a little bit better for Washington than for Toronto. It's just the the Toronto starters have been really good. Um, Ibaka has made shots, Ananobi has made shots, um, and DeRozan and Lowry have been great in facilitating. And and Valanciunas is really good too. Like. It's it's amazing. He, his he the way he's evolved. I mean, maybe a year ago, even you would have thought that this guy can be, com, you know, Valanciunas can be completely unplayable in some playoff series just because of his limitations defensively and offensively. But he's turned himself into a, a, a valuable piece for them. Yeah, he did hot yoga and got his body all reshaped. I mean, he's. I think he understood that he had to make some changes in order to be effective. Yeah, wait. Well, the one thing too, though, with with this. Remember, their best player did miss 40 games. So <laughs> right. they're probably not an eight seed if John Wall had been healthy this year. Um, and, and so I, I don't know that I'm going to overreact. Like, I don't think the problem is their three best players. I think the problem is their next six. That's the big issue if I'm the Wizards is, is they've got two guys in Mahimi and, and Gortat who are not what I would call – Asset um, thus far in the in the postseason because of style too, right? Like you just talked about with Valanciunas, and then secondly, like I don't uh, Toronto's bench was great in Game One. I mean, they scored forty two points. They doubled them up. Their bench was remember DeRozan didn't shoot it well. Kyle didn't shoot it one well in Game One. Their bench was terrific, and they're a one seed. Like I, I wouldn't overreact if I were Washington about my best players. Um, but I would be concerned about the construct of their roster because they don't have guys that, like I when I watch them play, they don't space it well. They don't they don't have a lot of guys who make a lot of IQ basketball players plays, I should say. And so I would be more concerned with that. Remember, they've done some things the last couple years that uh, that have backfired. You remember they traded away a first round pick for for Bogdanovich. And they didn't get anything true. for it, you know. Like, so they've not helped themselves uh, from a roster construct situation, and that's something that they've got to address in the offseason, no matter how this series turns out. Right. Yeah. Going forward in this series, I'd like to see a little bit more playing through Otto Porter. You know, they got Toronto has, has put DeRozan on him. I think that's going to be a matchup advantage for Washington, but we haven't really seen too much of it in this series so far. I think that that would be something I want to see in game three on Friday. If they take it apart in Washington, just real quick, what do you guys think is the the first thing you have to address? Is it deciding between one of your big stars? Is it, you know, the big Gortat and, and Mahinmi? You know, you got to do something there. Where where would the change be if you're Washington and you're trying to reconfigure that team? I think, well, I think that probably is where I I'm not. I, I really think their core three is good enough. I think they they complement each other well enough, and I think they're still young enough. Like like 
again, Otto Porter, I think, is 23. Bradley Beal's 24. And John Wall's the old man at, what, 27? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's the, he's, really, he's the geezer. I, I mean, because, again, you know, it's easier to say, oh, let's start over. You you, you know, you, you there are some teams that have been starting over for a long time. And, and I'm not that quick to blow something up that is not as broken as, as we might think. Again, I go back to this team lost 40 games to, for their best player, and he was hurt prior to leaving. You know, he had had issues all season. So I, I would, you know, I, I would want to see that group together um, and, and growing. I thought Bradley Beal improved. You know, he made the all-star team this year, so I'm not as quick to make that kind of a change as, as maybe some might be. It's just interesting. I mean, I, I think you go one or two ways after the postseason. Whether you, you know, only one team wins the championship, but other teams feel like they made strides or they've gotten to a point where they turned it around and they, you know, get into the postseason, maybe go around deep or two and feel really good about themselves going into an offseason. And there are other teams, even when they crawl into the playoffs, they get bounced early and realize, you know what, we got to make some drastic changes. Um, yeah. Another another one of those teams, guys, and we don't have to belabor the point on this, this series because I think it's playing out the way a lot of people thought, but Boston sure looks good. Uh, even without Kyrie and Gordon Hayward and Marcus Smart, they, I I will say this again. I owe Brad Stevens an apology. I remember when he came from Butler to the league, and I was like, Rondo is going to eat him alive. You know, like he's going to be in trouble trying to deal with these veteran NBA players. He has been a master. Um, no matter what they've dealt with, he has turned that thing around in Boston and gotten them playing fantastic basketball. I mean, Jalen Brown was a monster the other night. Yeah, the interesting thing is is – they have the fourth best offense in the through the first two games um, and sort of been about average defensively. Um, so they've had guys step up offensively. Obviously, Jalen Brown, uh, Terry Rozier, Horford has has um, maybe what? been a little bit Al more Horford? aggressive. Yeah. Well, you don't tell anybody in Atlanta about Al Horford. They, they run you out of town, shoe. But yeah, they, they, I think yeah, that's 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 a surprising thing. I think you you know they go on the road. Maybe that that will um, you know one of these guys is going to cool off or or multiple guys going to cool off. But it's also you know a little bit disappointing for the Milwaukee defense that they haven't yeah. been able to um, keep these there guys in check. Let, let, let's like like to me the conversation we just had about Washington. <laughs> that's the conversation I would have about Milwaukee. Yeah, like that's the team that has major issues uh, in terms of the way that team is put together. And uh, again, a lot of what Boston did, it was against porous defense. Like they, Milwaukee to me is the. I don't even want to say they're enigma. I think they are the most overrated roster mm. of all the playoff teams. And, and and I say that because of how talented Giannis is. Um, but that's a roster that, big picture, they have more concerns, I think, um, because, I mean, I, Giannis is a core. Chris Middleton is a, a very good player. Um, and, and for them, he's their second best player. And I think in a lot of ways, therein lies their problems. Yeah. Part of it. And then the rest of that roster, you know, that they, they don't have anybody on the floor 
that you have to really worry about, that you have to game plan for other than, I believe, Giannis. And a big part of Giannis is if you can limit him in transition, right? His, his transition attacks, he gets a lot of his offense from that. Now, yeah. it's hard to limit. But if you can somehow affect that, you can have success. Like, that's a team – Boston got the perfect matchup. That's yeah. the one team that I felt like that they could handle. And, and it could end up being easily. I do think Milwaukee – I'd be shocked if they got swept. But I could definitely see this thing going five games because I, I do feel like the things that Boston's doing against them offensively – those guys are capable against teams that aren't great defensively. Right. And, and that's been the issue for Milwaukee for the last two years. Jabari Parker, another question marks you. What do you, what do, you do with Jabari? I say right now he's not a very good player. I know. Um, defensively, he's been terrible. And offensively, he just doesn't, you know, he doesn't shoot threes uh, very well and doesn't get to the basket and to the free throw line enough to make up for that. And so I don't know what you do with this guy. I mean, it's a it's a fascinating question. I mean, I would love to see, you know, this same roster or something close to it with a, a fresh approach next year and a new a new coach, new coach and a yeah. fresh approach yeah. next year. Somebody who can, um, you know, who will get them switching more often on defense. Will 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 um, experiment with lineups where you get Giannis Antetokounmpo at the five, right? Um, you know, I would like to see that, but Parker's been disappointing. Eric Bledsoe has been a disappointment. Who? Um, it's yeah, I don't know. It's, it's been rough. Who, what's his name? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll tell you what. You might want to be cool on the smack talk in the playoffs when you're getting worked the way the way the Celtics are working the Milwaukee Bucks. Shoe, I, I want you to stick around before we get out of here. We got a little title to hand out for bragging rights. And seeing as how it's been a few weeks, I can't remember if I won or lost. I'm going to need some moral support if I didn't win. So You lost. I want to recount. No, you lost. Uh, <laughs> it ended up being the Wolves losing to the Nuggets was of- the difference maker. GA finished the season 29 and 22, Seiku 27 and 24. Come on, son. Man. Every game matters. Yeah, apparently so. And apparently that overtime burned me. Shoe, yeah. you, you got room. Shoe, you got room in the garage for me. I'm probably gonna have to get out of my house, and then nobody won't speak to me after they find out I lost bragging rights. I'm not gonna tell you. In the audience, yeah. We gonna keep it on the pod, baby. We gonna keep it on the pod. <laughs> oh well, this this won't be the first time I've lost bragging rights. Probably won't be the last. Listen, shoe. I appreciate you as always. Even though we don't have any more bragging rights, we still have Schumann stat for as long as the Hangtime podcast is rolling. So you better come with something next week as well as we all continue our playoff travels. Uh, GA, be be safe down there in the Big Easy now and keep your money in your pocket. I know how close the casino that, is. It's right down the, the street. The casinos are close, though. It's they are close. right there. It's right there. Um, <laughs> Appreciate everybody joining us. As always, our main man, Steve Ashburner, as well. If you haven't already, subscribe to Hang Time on Apple Podcasts for new episodes all throughout the playoffs. And don't forget to leave a review. And yes, I lost bragging rights. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. And be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for a new episode every Thursday this season. And as always... Say Kuna Matata.